bullets in there and an insert. Today we're taking a look at the first chapter of Mark, verses 14 through 20. We read there, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Enlighten our hearts and minds. Open our ears to what you would speak to us. And hearing, Lord, that we would be changed people, willing to follow you and do as you command. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, the young man stood red-faced in front of the exit breezeway at Winco Foods. You probably, does anybody shop at Winco? You know what I'm talking about? As you're leaving. He, and he was standing there red-faced fuming at this vending machine. Let's call him Carl, okay? I don't know his name. Carl pounded on the side of the machine, fed more coins into it, and pushed the button. Still, nothing happened. Now, other shoppers gave Carl a wide berth as he grew more and more agitated. Next, the assistant manager came to see if she could defuse the situation. What seems to be the problem here? I just want a Diet Coke! He yelled. Puzzled, she backed away and looked to the right and to the left. Her, her confusion? Well, the man was pounding on a vending machine, still feeding money into it, but it had an out-of-order sign on it. The light was not on. Finally, and perhaps most significantly, it was not even a beverage vending machine. It was one of those children toy claw machines. You know, you put the money in and you maneuver the claw around and then you push the button and it drops down and more than likely doesn't grab whatever toy the child is after. Well, uh, nevertheless, the assistant manager still tried to help Carl. You want a Diet Coke, she asked. Well, yes, isn't it obvious, Carl replied. Well, sir, if you would like a beverage, a, a Diet Coke or any number of cola products, you can follow me into the store and I'll be happy to help you. No, I put money in this machine. I want my Diet Coke. And Carl kept pounding on the poor, out-of-order, broken magic toy claw machine. It's ridiculous, isn't it? We look at Carl with pity, if not scorn. We wonder if he has all his wits about him or if there is something wrong that has damaged Carl's ability to perceive reality. 
you may say it's obvious, but, but Carl is seeking to meet a need through a means that will not work from a source that cannot meet his demand, all while being just outside a place that could more than supply his need. He can keep feeding his money and his energy into that poor vending machine all day. And he'll be just as thirsty, if not more so, than when he started. Carl's situation will only get better if he realizes his error, recognizes what he needs to do, and then responds in a way that fits the new reality that he awakens to. The truth is, we are all Carl before coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. No, we weren't after a Diet Coke. Maybe you're after a Diet Coke. I don't know your affinity for your, your beverages, but it might have been a little more significant than that. What we were looking for, that is. Now, Jesus came into a world dominated by darkness and sin to a people aimless at best and opposed to God at worst. He came to seekers and those yearning like Carl, those that were trying to meet a need that only God can fulfill, seeking answers from a world that really only brings frustration and confusion. And all the while we're on the doorstep of a life-changing relationship with God, if only they would just turn and see where the supply was. So let's take a look at how Jesus launched his public ministry. Calling a world to realize, recognize, and respond in a way that fulfills our deepest longing and our most significant need. First, realize. That's the first word I want to focus on, is realize. To realize something means to become fully aware of something as fact. Understand clearly. Jesus said in that first sermon of his, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. Are we really aware of this fact? Do we understand it clearly? Now, Carl kept banging on the vending machine because he didn't realize that what he was doing was futile. He just thought that trying harder, being persistent was going to help. He he didn't want to give up. And all that would be admirable if it wasn't so misguided. We live in a world that's well-intentioned often, but misguided. Individuals who don't have the benefit of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit cannot see the world clearly. Scripture's pretty clear on that point. They can't become fully aware of the reality of their situation or understand clearly who Jesus is and what Jesus is calling them to without the help of God the Father working through the Holy Spirit. After all, Jesus himself said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, in John 6, 44. But even after we come into relationship with Jesus, we can make the same mistake that Carl made at that Winco. If this were not so, Paul wouldn't have had to warn Christians, the Christians in Rome specifically, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I love that verse. It's a great great passage. But you know what the problem, they say, is with a living sacrifice? It can climb off the altar. And that's that's what we do. We, We get set on the right path. And then because God honors our free will, we have the opportunity to, of course, miscorrect at any particular time. So in realizing that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, we must resist the temptation to pattern our lives by the kingdoms of this world. We have to consciously resist being squeezed into molds and labels that this world provides that, well, we're we're tempted to them because they provide comfort, because they give us identity, they give us a party or a tribe of like-minded individuals that validate and encourage us in our conformity to the patterns of this world. So that first question is, do you and I realize and truly understand the significance of Jesus's words? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. If so, then we will, the second R word, we will recognize We will recognize it, which means acknowledge the existence or validity or legality of something. Now, there are some football games being played today, uh, starting at noon and continuing on into the evening. I don't know if that has any significance for the team you're rooting for. (laughs) But... um, I'm, I'm a sports fan, and so I tend to follow figures in sports, and often I've heard this phrase, you better recognize. Have you ever heard something like that? Um, and it's usually heard from someone, a sports figure, that feels like they're not receiving the proper recognition for their accomplishments. So they use this phrase, you better recognize. It's similar to... Uh, Aretha Franklin's introduction uh, into the American lexicon, this idea of propers, okay, or shortened props. Have you heard this phrase? It's not, it was much more significantly used in common parlance in the, in the 90s, um, especially through cert, on certain TV programs. But this idea of props, or give him props for a job well done, uh, in her hit song, Respect, I'm pretty sure everybody's heard that song. That's a really well-known song. She sings, I'm about to give you all my money, and all I'm asking in return, honey, is to give me my propers when you get home. Now, many have misinterpreted the word as profits, as in give me your profits, give me my profits when you come home. But Franklin was definitely singing propers as in proper respect. When uh, William Sapphire asked her about it in 2002 in the New York Times on language column, Franklin broke it down for the word maven. She said, oh, I I do say propers. I got it from the Detroit street. It was common street slang in the 1960s. My propers means mutual respect. What you know is right. 
So props, you better recognize. What do people mean by that? What are they seeking? Well, it's about respect. It's about honor. And in a sense, Jesus was saying something very similar in his inaugural sermon. What does he say right after the words? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. What does he say? Repent. Repent. What is the proper response to the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come? How do you truly recognize the reality of Jesus? There's really only one acceptable answer. Because the kingdom of God has come, I need to repent. Beyond understanding to acknowledgement, agreement, alignment. To repent is to turn from what I'm doing, saying, thinking, that is less than God's best for me. It is to give God the proper respect, to recognize that Jesus has saved us, yes, but not, but not simply to put us back on the path that we were on. So I've been going this direction, I repent, God, you know, it's not like Jesus picks us up, dusts us off and says, okay, along your way, as you were going before. We are saved in order to be redirected, reoriented. Jesus wants to lead and we are asked to follow. So Jesus' first sermon has hit two major points so far. First, realize that God's kingdom has come. Everything changes in our perception of the world once we see things as they really are. And in seeing things as they really are, we see ourselves as we really are, and if we have any sense at all, we repent. And then third, the third R, respond. Respond, to react to something with particular action. That's what it means to respond. Well, how are we to respond? What did Jesus say but believe the good news? And here, all of the intellectuals in the room breathe a giant sigh of relief. Ah, Jesus said all we have to do is believe the good news. So we're back to a mental exercise. What is it we're to believe? Well, or what is it to believe? To accept something as true, to, to feel sure of the truth of. Now that's even better. A feeling. We just have to feel different. Thank goodness. I wouldn't want to actually have to do anything or change anything. That would be too demanding. Hmm. Well, let me, let me get back to that in just a second. You may have picked up a little sarcasm there. First, though, I, I want you to think, what is good news to you? Because Jesus' message is to be good news. What would be good news to your neighbor? Now, whatever it is for you or for your neighbor or for your coworkers or the people you see um, in everyday life, in the context of Jesus' first sermon, the good news is not primarily about change for the individual, for the individual's sake. It's about the individual joining a group, a new group, the kingdom of God. It's communal. It's collective. It's about new structures and ways of being together. Now, why is this important? Because if it just stays about our individual salvation and personal relationship with Jesus, I think we're missing 
the best part of the good news, that we are not alone. We are not alone. But is it just about feelings and thoughts? Is it about this mental sense? Okay, I, I realize I'm no longer alone in this world. I'm, I'm, I'm with other people. Is that the belief Jesus was preaching about? Perhaps it's best if we ask, what action on our part would suggest that we believe this good news? How, how should we respond? How should we act? How should we take those steps of faith? I want to close with the story. Um, perhaps you've heard something of the story of Monsieur Charles Blondin. Um, I'm picking up most of the facts of this particular story from Smithsonian Magazine. In 1959, they, they covered, that was kind of the summer of Monsieur Charles Blondin. And his actual name of this Frenchman was Jean-Francois Gravier. His stage name was Charles Blondin, born in 1824. He was a rope walker. He discovered his talent at age four when he strung a rope between two chairs placed a few feet apart. And at five, he enrolled in the École de Gymnase de Lyon, which just means a gymnastic school that happened to be in Lyon, France, where he honed his natural abilities. He first came to America in 1855 at the behest of a theatrical agent, William Niblo, and was about to begin an engagement with Franconi's equestrian troupe when the idea struck him to cross the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So on the morning of June 30th, 1859, about 25,000 thrill-seekers arrived by train and by steamer and dispersed on the American or Canadian side of the falls. People placed bets on whether or not he would fall to his death, which is rather macabre, but I, people were taking bets. I'm not sure how that worked out, but it was quite a scene. This hempen cable was strung over the falls with uh, what are called guy ropes to kind of steady it to some degree. But, but Blondin could do nothing, however, about the inevitable sag in the center, about 50 feet of cable to which it was impossible to fasten any guy ropes at all. At that spot, in the middle of his crossing, he would be only 190 feet above the gorge. There were hundreds of people examining the rope, reported one witness, and with scarcely an exception, they all declared the inability of Monsieur Blondin to perform the feat the incapacity of the rope to sustain him, and that he deserved to be dashed to atoms for his desperate foolhardiness. But shortly before 5 p.m., Blondin took his position on the American side. He was, he was dressed in pink tights, bedecked with spangles, and the lowering sun made him appear as if clothed in light, the, uh, the writer said. He wore fine leather shoes with soft soles and, and brandished uh, an ashen pole that was 26 feet long and weighed nearly 50 pounds. And slowly and calmly, he started to walk. Now, of those 25,000 that were there in attendance, children clung to their mother's legs. Women peeked from behind their parasols. Several onlookers fainted. 
About a third of the way across, Blondin shocked the crowd by sitting down on the cable and calling for the Maid of the Mist. That's the uh, famous tourist vessel that goes around the falls and uh, to anchor momentarily beneath him. He cast down a line and hauled up. What would a Frenchman haul up? A bottle of wine. A bottle of wine. And uh, he drank and then started off again while the band played Home Sweet Home, Blondin crossed and reached Canada. One man helped pull him ashore and exclaimed, I wouldn't look on anything like it again for a million dollars. Now, not everyone admired Blondin's feet. The New York Times condemned, quote, such reckless and aimless exposure of life, and the thoughtless people enjoyed looking at a fellow creature in deadly peril, end quote. But nevertheless, on July 4th, Blondin appeared at the American end of the cable, this time without his balancing pole. Halfway across, he lay down on the cable, he flipped himself over, he began walking backwards. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think he flipped around and then he was walking backwards in the direction he was headed in the first, first place. But he stopped again to take a swig from his flask and then he made it safely to the Canadian side. And the journey back from the Canadian side back to the American side, he wore a sack over his entire body, depriving him of sight. One can scarcely believe that the feat was indeed real, wrote one reporter that was there, and stands gazing upon the slender cord and the awful gulf in a state of utter bewilderment. I look back on it again as if a dream. Now, Blondin announced subsequent crossings, promising that each time would be more daring than the last. Till finally, kind of this penultimate moment, or this, this grand gesture on July 15th, it must have been because he had, or knew he had in the audience, President Millard Fillmore. He walked backward to Canada and returned to the U.S. pushing a wheelbarrow. Now at this point, I've, I've heard this sermon illustration myself before with the wheelbarrow. Has anybody ever heard this before where, where he's pushing the wheelbarrow and, and he kind of plays up the crowd and says, hey, who thinks I can go back across with the wheelbarrow? And the crowd cheers and he says, fantastic, I need a volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow. Well, as far as I could tell, that sermon illustration is just that. It, it didn't actually happen. But he did push a wheelbarrow across and the president was there. But this did happen two weeks later. Two weeks later, after he made another crossing and a brief rest, he appeared on the Canadian side with uh, his friend and his manager, Harry Colcord. Harry Colcord was clinging to his back. He gave his manager a piggyback ride across the falls. And his instructions were, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I reach this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. Now, reports of him crossing with his manager on his back said that while they were crossing, several of the guidelines snapped I don't know about you, but that would have been too much for me if I was riding his back to see one of those lines that was there to help keep the, 
the main tightrope from swaying too much, just snap. But they made it. I mean, can you even imagine? Colcord went from managing his friend, the daring Blondin, to being carried by him across the falls. As I think about that, I wonder how often I've just attempted to manage Jesus. Sending Jesus out before me to handle life's problems for me. This life is a treacherous journey. Imagine Jesus saying to you, look up. You are no longer just you. You are in me. Until we clear this life, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. Do not attempt to balance everything on your own. If we follow these directions, we'll be ready to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Simon, Peter, and Andrew had actions that showed they believed. How did they respond? They dropped their nets. They stepped out in faith to follow Jesus. They weren't foolish in doing so. They were following someone who could finally help them see the world as it truly was and, and to give them a chance to live into that reality. So, so I say to you, I say to myself this morning, let's stop being like Carl. Let's stop banging the magic claw toy machine thinking you're going to get your Diet Coke. If you only try harder, if you don't give up, step back, hear the voice of Jesus speaking through the ages. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are more than able to take us upon your back and to carry us across whatever it is that we see before us. Whether it's a difficult decision, whether it's our own anxiety as to what's coming next, our fears, maybe just our, our own doubt that, that you can really provide for us in the way that you've said you will. We thank you for this passage of scripture that reminds us of the good news of that sermon that you preached. That the kingdom of God has come. Not that it is coming, not that we're looking forward to some day when everything will be set right, though that's true. But that it's, it's come right now. It's come in your person. And in that relationship that we can have with you, if we recognize what is really real and we respond in a way that makes sense the only response that makes sense knowing who you are, that we would repent and follow you in faith. Jesus, we thank you for the meal that we're about to take in, in just a few moments. A reminder of your presence with us, but, but the reality that we are also in you. 
that because we've trusted in you, that relationship is, um, it just can't be severed. And you stay with us. And you're with us no matter what. Hear our hearts, hear our, our fears, our anxieties, our doubts this morning, and help us to trust still. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.